working on um, this idea of serving, and we are uh, finding ways for uh, for you to serve in the church and um, and and serve in a way, on a, particularly on a Sunday morning, that allows each of the ministries here at New Day to function. And this morning, as we uh, as we wrap up this month and and the focus. Uh, with looking at what it is to serve, um, I want to share with you a couple of different um, parts from the New Testament that really speak to us about what it means to serve, what it means to serve others, and in a sense to really give our lives in the service of others and to kind of give our lives away in a, in a sense in serving others. And so two things that I want to really um, share with you this morning. One is taken from um, the life of Paul, the apostle, and the other is taken from the life of Jesus. I'm going to share two examples uh, this morning that will hopefully uh, encourage you as you think about serving and as you think about finding a role um, to serve here at New Day. The first example I want to share with you is from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, to his letter to the Philippians. And uh, Philippi, when Paul was writing, was a city um, where he had visited previously in ministry. And if you want to get a sense of what ministry looked like when Paul went there, you can read that story in Acts chapter 16. And it was in the midst of Paul's missionary journeys. He stops in the city of Philippi, which today is in northern Greece. And he stops there and, and ministers. And you might remember the story of where Paul is put in prison and he's worshiping into the middle of the night and there's the earthquake and the prison doors open up and the prisoners are tempted to escape and the, the prison guard is about to kill himself because all the prisoners are going to escape and he's going to be held responsible. And, and yet in the midst of all of that, um, Paul is able to share the gospel with the jailer and he and his family get saved and baptized. Well, that was the city in which... Paul had begun ministry and a church was formed and now we are a few years later and Paul is writing to that same um, group of Christians in that church. And then Paul had great affection for the Philippian church and uh, one of the reasons uh, that he had such deep joy and affection in writing to this church is because they had actually supported him in his ministry and we might think about the fact that it was nice that they had prayed for Paul, that they had maybe encouraged him. But Paul is really specifically thanking them because they had given him financial support. So Paul, as a prisoner in, in, in the New Testament times, was completely dependent on other people to provide for his needs. When you were jailed or put in prison during the first century, your, your prison guards weren't giving you meals three times a day. They weren't giving you a blanket and a pillow and making sure that you were tucked in at night. They weren't providing any of your any of your needs. And so as a prisoner, if you didn't have friends or family to provide your meals and to provide for your basic needs, you were completely on your own. And so this church in Philippi was the church that primarily responded when Paul needed these these basic things. The church in Philippi, they took an offering and they sent that offering to Paul while he was in prison so that he would be cared for. And Paul, among other reasons, he's writing this letter. But one of the main reasons is Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi to say, thank you for sending me this gift. Thank you for partnering with me. And Paul uses this language of partnering and partnership multiple times in this letter because this whole idea of them working in ministry together, partnering together was really important. 
In chapter 1 of um, Philippians, Paul, towards the end of that first chapter, talks about this idea of them living lives that are worthy of the gospel. He's writing this letter to also encourage these Christians in Philippi. One of the things he says is, I want you to live lives worthy of the gospel. To live lives worthy of the gospel. Well, there's obviously a lot that goes into that phrase. There's an awful lot that could be meant by that expression. But one of the things Paul really wants them to do is to continue to serve each other, continue to give and to serve each other and to live lives where they are serving together as a church. And so that kind of leads into the main um, passage that I want to spend time in um, this morning from Philippians, which is Philippians chapter 2 and the first 11 verses. So Paul is encouraging this church in Philippians and Philippi and saying, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And he kind of sums it up by saying in your relationships, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, we might ask, well, what does that mindset look like? What does it look like to have the mindset of Jesus as we think about serving and sharing our lives together? Well, Paul explains it. In verse 6, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. And this is one of the most kind of famous descriptions of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's almost, um, almost certainly one of the earliest Christian worship songs that the New Testament church uh, would have used when they gathered together. They would have sung this or spoken this, um, almost like a poem. It's written that way. And it talks about how Jesus was totally equal with God the Father. And yet, Even though he was at that highest place of honor and highest place of authority, he didn't use that as something for his own advantage. He didn't manipulate that position for his own gain. And instead, he humbled himself. Now, the the Greek expression when Paul was originally writing this in verse 6 where it says that Christ did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage that expression is, is kind of difficult to translate into English really neatly. And another way of looking at it is that, is that Christ did not need to reach up and grasp hold of equality with God. Or he didn't grasp it and hold on to it in a way that he was, he was just going to stay holding on to that equality with God. The, the point here is that Jesus, even though he was completely equal with God the Father, willingly gave up that lofty status and humbled himself. 
becoming a man. And that's not to say that Jesus stopped being fully divine when he came to earth. He didn't. But in addition, he took on full humanity and he lowered himself. Did you notice the direction in which Jesus is headed the first half of this passage? He's going lower and lower and lower and lower in his humility. He comes to serve us even to the point of dying upon a cross. And that death upon the cross really was the lowest that he could go because not only was, was he dying a human death, but he was dying in a way where people despised him, where he had no friends, no one around him to comfort him. It was the lowest point he could go. And yet, at that very point is where this passage turns, because there, at that point of death, is where God exalts Christ to the highest place. And we see the second half of this passage, where Christ is exalted once more. And so this passage kind of has a pattern where it starts at the highest point of honor, and gets lower and lower and lower and lower. And then right at that lowest point of total humility and sacrifice, God exalts and honors Christ. Now this idea of, of if, you, if you want to attain greatness and honor, the idea that you would start with everything and then purposefully give it all away or purposefully humble yourself doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us, right? In our culture, the stories we most often celebrate are people who started with nothing and reached the top. Well, in the, in the ancient world, when Paul was writing, it was the same idea. Who were the people at the top? It was the Roman emperors, and the Roman emperors were best, the best Roman emperors, the ones that were honored and glorified the most, were the ones who crushed their enemies, ruled with an iron fist, expanded the empire's borders. You know, these people who came in and just crushed everyone around them and ruled with a real strict hand and a rule of authority. The most celebrated ruler from the ancient world is Alexander the Great, who just crushed everyone before him and by his late 20s conquered the entire known world. That was what people thought of when they thought of a great ruler. Somebody who started at the bottom and worked their way up. Well, Jesus is the opposite. He started at the top and willingly gave it all away. The other thing that these rulers in the ancient world would often do is because they were perceived to be so great and so mighty, is people would start to say to them, you, you are God. You are, you are a God to us. You're so incredibly powerful and have so much authority. And those rulers would say, yes, yes, I am. You should worship me. The Roman emperors would receive worship on a regular basis. And so they, they would take on this whole idea of being divine. And yet we see with Christ, he did the opposite, where he gave it all away. Um, centuries before the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 53, even foresaw that this would be how Christ would be pictured in this very famous passage of the suffering servant. And so Paul writes to the Philippian church and he encourages them to have the same mindset. Whatever station in life you are, whatever level of authority and greatness and honor you have, that you lower yourself, that you humble yourself, and that the Philippian church should grow together in love and in unity. So did we actually see this modeled in the life of Christ? So Paul has talked about it in a very big picture sense, but do we actually see these instances where Jesus humbled himself? Do we see this in the Gospels? So I want to share quickly two instances where we see this. In a couple of different Gospels, we see Jesus describe himself as the Son of Man who did not come to be served, 
but to serve. He said, I came to serve. You know, the expectation might have been that people would recognize who Jesus was and they may have tried to serve him. But he says, no, I came in order to serve others, even to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, there was a particular incident that sparked these words, and it was when uh, two of his 12 followers, his disciples, two of them came, James and John, and they asked Jesus, in the final day when you are fully glorified and, 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 and everyone is worshiping you, would you place each of us, one on your right hand and one on your left hand? So essentially what they've said is, will you glorify us just a little below you above everybody else? So the other ten disciples, when they heard this conversation, were really upset. I mean, not only were the, these two saying we want to be better than all the other ten, but basically we want to be better than anyone else ever. I mean, they, were, they wanted to be right up there with Jesus. And in Matthew's account, it was their mother that made the request of Jesus just to make it even more awkward. And Jesus says, do you really know what you're asking? Oh, yeah, we totally know what we're asking. Yeah, we can do it. We have got what it takes. And Jesus says, you really, you don't. He says, he says, you cannot suffer in the way that I'm going to suffer. And Jesus doesn't say to them, don't try to be great. He's, Jesus doesn't say that greatness and pursuing greatness is a bad thing. Sometimes we read this passage and we think, Jesus is saying we shouldn't have any ambition. We shouldn't strive to do anything. We shouldn't strive to become better. We shouldn't pursue greatness. And that's tough because a lot of us would love to truly become great at something, to be recognized in a certain way, to really become better and better, and to really reach goals that we set for ourselves. And Jesus isn't saying that that's wrong. What he is saying is there's a way to become great and to become honored. It just looks an awful lot different than you think it should and that most of us want it to be like. Jesus is saying that the way to become highly honored is to serve, to serve everyone. And Jesus models that. He shows that example. And so Jesus is really saying if you want to become great, if you want to become honored, there is a way to do that. Make yourself lower. Humble yourself and serve others. That's the way to become great. And, and really that's what he was saying to the disciples is there's a level of sacrifice that only I can take on. And there's a level of sacrifice that he's pointing to there that's the cross. Another example of Jesus coming as a servant is when he washed the disciples' feet. And in John chapter 13, he then says to the disciples, uh, starting in verse 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. For Jesus to wash his disciples' feet was an act of humility and an act of servanthood. When someone would come in the door, someone into your home in the ancient world, their feet would be dirty and dusty from traveling, and a servant would wash their feet. And so for Jesus, who you can see from this passage, people called him teacher, rabbi, master. I mean, they called him titles of great honor. For him to purposefully lower himself, to wash his disciples' feet, 
was an act of great humility and service. And the disciples would have felt incredibly awkward and uncomfortable and embarrassed that Jesus was washing their feet. And he went down the line and washed all of their feet. And at the end, he said, this is my example to you. And Paul had said that same thing, essentially, to the Philippians. Humble yourself, have the same mindset as Christ, that when you want to become great, look for ways to become great by looking for ways to serve others. And really, that's what this month is about, is finding ways for each of us to serve, for each of us to serve within our church family so that we can continue as a church fellowship to grow together in unity as we serve together alongside each other and also in love as we continue to pour out our lives for each other. And this is where Jill is going to come and give some practical ideas for how that can be lived out. All right, so this month, really, we've been hearing about serving, and Graham just talked about Christ's example and and how we're called to serve. And really, every Sunday, we've heard different aspects of the importance of serving within church. And we have an opportunity graphically displayed for us on that back wall of where we can serve. But sometimes it feels a little intimidating, right? Like, we just heard about Christ's example. Like, I can't live up to that. I don't even think I'm going to try, you know. You can feel that way sometimes, right? But I've got great news for you. You don't have to do it on your own. This isn't something where you muster up some, oh, I think I'm going to be amazing at this, so I'm going to try, or I'm just going to serve. In fact, the Father tells us that he's given us gifts. He's given us spiritual gifts. And this is where they come into play. This is what your spiritual gifts are for. They're for edifying the body of Christ, and they're for being a light to the world. And one very practical way to do that is to serve. So um, we hear about these lists. Um, Paul writes about them in 1 Corinthians and in Romans. And I'm actually going to use the verses out of Romans just to encourage you. It's in Romans 12, 6 through 8. It says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith is service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So God's given us gifts, and and there's a list of our gifts, and you've probably seen those tests, you know, what are my spiritual giftings? And you can do the test and figure out what they are. But those gifts were given to you to use. Right? They were given to you because God thought, you know what, I want to really bless this person. So think about when you give someone a gift, right? When you prepare, I don't see your Christmas presents. You don't just like find something off any old shelf. You don't go to the grocery store and get like some powdered milk and wrap it up and put it under the tree, right? Like you think about what would this person like, you know, oh man, I know my kid will love this when they open it, you know, or you think about as a girl, I think about, oh, my friend would, you know, oh, she has this outfit and these earrings would be perfect, you know, you just think about this and and you know that it's going to bring joy to that person. That's why you give them the gift because you want them to experience joy and gladness. In the same way, the father has given us gifts and he's thought about who we are. He's thought about um, the situations we're going to be in, right? So he gives us these gifts for us to use, but sometimes we don't use them. Sometimes we put them on the shelf. And I think about that, you know, sometimes I might get a gift and it's really precious to me. And so I think, you know, I want to wait to use this till the perfect moment, right? 
I'm going to wait until, I don't know, the pinnacle day to use this gift. And so you kind of put it away. And sometimes you then forget about it. It's dusty. It's a pretty bad idea. But maybe you're doing that because you don't want it to wear out. Awesome news. Spiritual gifts are not like material gifts. They do not wear out. In fact, they grow when you use them. Right? We serve an infinite God who's infinite in every way, and that applies to spiritual gifts. So it's not like you're going to get 510 prophetic words, so pick your moment wisely. Right? It's not like that. It's like you've got an infinite number of prophetic words ready to go exactly when the Holy Spirit prompts you to give them. And the more you give, the more the Father's going to give to you to give out. And you'll continue to grow. And not only will you continue to grow, but you'll become more comfortable in your gift. You'll be more comfortable in it so you can use it at any moment, at any time. Right? Which is a pretty awesome thing if you think about it. It's almost like an investment. So we've all learned, we've all heard probably, start investing, you know, when you're five and you only have to invest for five years and you'll be a triple millionaire when you retire or something like this, right? None of us do it because when we're five, our piggy banks aren't that big. But it's the same idea with, with our spiritual gifts. It's we invest into them. And I can tell you that the Holy Spirit's compound interest rate is great. <laughs> this is a solid investment. It's low risk and high return. Low-risk, high-return investment right here. And the cool thing is, is that, you know, if you look at those uh, groups back there, those are all teams. So this is partly why it's low-risk. You're going to be in a team. You don't have to do it alone. You have someone that can mentor you, someone that can teach you. You have a leader of the team who's been doing this for a while. So it's truly low-risk. It's like this idea when you go to apply for a new job, right? Maybe you're starting a new career. Maybe it's your first job. So you go to apply, and, of course, your resume looks like nothing because you have no experience. And then they don't want to hire you because you don't have any experience. And then you think, well, how can I ever get experience if no one ever hires me? And then you just go around in the circle. It's very discouraging. There's your internship opportunity right there. That's your chance to gain experience in how to use your gift and develop it because the big picture is to use it outside of the church. We use it in the church to be a part of the body, to connect with each other, to grow, to display the mind of Christ. But we use it outside of the church to be a light to the world. So let's get really, really practical. So, okay, we have these lists. I took the test. I know this is my spiritual gifting. And some are super obvious, right? Like, I know I move in the prophetic. I'm going to join the prophetic team. No problem. Or like maybe I'm musically talented or artistically talented, worship team, prophetic arts team, check. But what if you're like, man, like, I'm pretty organized. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm pretty organized. Well, you know what? That's probably a gift of administration. And did you know that the children's ministry team, the tech team, the fusion team, those all have administrative roles that need to be filled within them. Or maybe you're like, I'm really an encourager, but I wasn't here the first week, and the fusion team is full, and I don't know what to do now. Well, I was looking at the vision stated for the different teams, and right in the children's ministry vision talks about a main element is to encourage the kids. Perfect place for you to use your gift, right? So there's always a spot. There's always a way to learn. So then I was thinking, well, what if, what if I'm, I want to serve like, I do want to serve. 
But man, I hate being center stage. Like, I hate having attention on me. Like, what, what do I do? I'm telling you what, the Sunday atmosphere team, right? Like, there's roles for you. That, all that needs is someone who's faithful, responsible to make Sunday morning work. It's vital, but it's perfect fit, right? What if I'm not sure what my gifting is, or what if I get it wrong? What then? It is low risk, high return. God will never turn his back on a sincere heart and a giving attitude. He's always going to meet you where you're at. He's always going to give you grace. But secondly, this is a safe, safe place for you to discover your gifts. It's a safe place for you to try it out. Say you think you're a caregiver and you have this idea like, I think I'd really love to volunteer, I don't know, in a nursing home or something. But I've never really tried it out. Like, I don't know if I'm a caregiver. I just think I'm a caregiver. It could be kind of scary just to go up to some nursing home and, like, you're on your own and they probably aren't going to mentor you and that's that. Join nursery, right? You're in a team. Love on those kids for a year. You're going to grow that gift. It's going to give you the ability to go outside the church. Here's another idea. I want to serve, but I don't think I'm capable or will succeed in any of those roles. Okay, so here's an idea. Like maybe your attitude is fearful or you're just concerned. Okay, I'm going to give you a secret to life right here. So your attitude is composed of three components, acting, feeling, and thinking. And you may not realize it, but you actually do have control over all three of those components. So now here's, um, here's an example. I know you've experienced this, but just to put this in action, say that you, going along in life, you have a good friend, and a good friend has a bad experience with person X. You don't really know person X, you know, you don't, you're neutral on them, but your friend says a couple of things, and pretty soon you kind of start thinking negatively about person X, which then makes you kind of feel not so good about them. And pretty soon when they come around, you're acting a little standoffish around them, right? And it's all because someone else influenced your original thought, and then your feeling and acting fell in line behind it. And I know you've experienced this. But the exciting news is, is that we have control over those things. We have control of our, our thinking, feeling, and acting. So if you change one of those things, the other two are going to fall into line. Okay? This works in, in anything. This is a principle of life. But so in this example, I'm thinking I'm not capable. I'm feeling a lot of fear. And so my action is to not do anything. Those, that's how those three play out. In, in this example, I think that the thinking and the feeling would be the most difficult things to change. They would take the most discipline and the most effort to change. But the acting isn't so hard, right? So you take that attitude and you say, you know what, I, I want to change the attitude. So I'm going to go sign up. So 26 times next year, that's it, 26 times, I have to act differently. That's it. I'm going to act differently 26 times. And I guarantee your thinking and feeling are going to fall into place behind it. Which is pretty amazing, right? It's pretty cool that God gives us all these options of how to change our attitude and deal with it. And then also just another really practical tip. You know what? Talk to people who have served on these teams. Find out what it's like. They'll give you the truth. They'll give you the word on the street, you know? Like, 
you know, when you go to a job interview, half the time you're interviewing the company just as much as they're interviewing you. Do it with these roles. You know, just go find out. Absolutely valid. So actively using your gifts is going to allow you to grow in your confidence with them. When you gain experience and expertise in that talent, you're going to be able to use those gifts outside of the church walls and be a light to the world. So I th- think about like the Jesus Loves Kalamazoo outreach that was this summer. And maybe you participated, maybe you didn't. But I can guarantee that it would be way easier to go pray for someone on the street if you'd been on the prayer team praying for someone regularly, right? Because it's just normal. This is just normal that you're doing. It's almost like a habit. Or what if you have this idea that, you know, I could run a vacation Bible school in my neighborhood in the summer, and I know that would minister to the kids and to the parents, and I really want to do that? Get in children's ministry. If you do that, you're going to know everything you need to make that vacation Bible school truly successful, and it's going to minister to everyone around you. So when you serve in the church, it actually equips you to serve in the world. So the challenge is, are you ready to be equipped? Awesome. Oh, so good. Thank you so much, Graham and Jill. So in a moment, we're going to be taking an offering. But before we get to that, I want to highlight the connection card. Uh, you can use this to contact the care team, share prayer requests and testimonies, respond to today's message and sign up for events and more. You can fill it out and you can place it in the offering basket. Or if you want a free gift, and who doesn't want a free gift, you can take it to the connection counter back there today. All right, a couple of announcements. This Tuesday is the Life Group Leaders Meeting at 6.30 here at New Day. Sign up on the connection card if you're interested in leading a group and come to the meeting and learn what you need to learn. And then there's going to be a bake sale next Sunday after church. Kirsten Lawrence is going to go to the School of Ministry in Toronto. So good. So good. So we are going to have a bake sale to help her raise funds. So I just encourage you to bring all the spare change and all your checkbooks and all your savings to come and just to give it to Kirsten. Just so. Um, and then in two weeks, we're going to be having the annual camping trip. Um, service is going to look a little differently. We're going to have the first service here at, at 9.30 like normal. And then instead of second service, there's going, we're going to go and go out to Van Buren State Park and we're going to uh, have a worship service there at 11.15. Everyone is welcome to come out for the picnic at Van Buren at 12.15. Just bring food and your family. And that is all in the bulletin. You can read the bulletin and subscribe to the weekly email updates for info on all the other church events. So you can look at the, in the chair in front of you. There are, it shows, there's a little card that shows ways to give and there's offering envelopes. And I'd like to at this time invite the ushers up. Uh, and we're just going to pray for the offering. So, Father God, we just thank you for your blessing and just, uh, just all that you've poured into our lives, God. And we just uh, look forward just to giving back to you, God. And we just say as we give that we trust you, that you're going to meet our needs, that you are going to take care of us through every situation. We love you, Jesus. Amen. And at this time, I would like to invite up somebody who has had a, a real significant role in this church over the last couple of years, who's really 
really blessed a lot of people. Uh, and he's currently over the children's ministry. It's me. It's me. Um, and so I am supposed to uh, just share a little bit about how the children's ministry, how it fits into the vision and the purpose here at New Day Community Church. Um, as most of you should probably know, the mission statement of New Day is living the great commandment and fulfilling the great commission. And in order for us uh, as a body to really